and trying to make it six and a half tonight. There's oh, another one. No. High deep drive. Left field of the monster seats. It's off the light standard for his third home run of the game. Have a night. Have a week. Goodness gracious. Throw him another slider. Steve Pierce tonight in Boston is the man. The first time in his career he's hit three in a game. From my artificially cool to 68 degrees studio in Buffalo, New York, this is Steve Bennett on the Sportscaster Season 8, Episode 9. It is the beginning of August 2018, and we have a great show lined up today. We have Max Olson from The Athletic. We kind of talked with Stuart Mandel, who was on last week's show about uh, about Hard Knocks, and we just kind of got our toes wet. And I keep calling it Hard Knocks. It's Last Chance You. Hard Knocks is the NFL show that starts next week. Uh, we talked to uh, Stuart Mandel about Last Chance You and his colleague Max Olson had actually covered it. So today on the show we're going to go 35 minutes or so, maybe even more, deep into the series, the characters, the outcomes, some where are they now stuff with Max Olson, who's covered it for The Athletic. Also on the show today, our friend Jeff Perlman joins us. Uh, a kind of pre-book tour visit. Jeff has a book coming out in the fall about the USFL. And of course, when that book comes out, we're going to have a copy to give away. And then Jeff will join us to go deep into that book once I've read it. Uh, but he's going to join us today just to kind of shoot the shit, really. Uh, we talk about a bunch of different things that Jeff's doing and checking on him and uh, and see what's up. So that's the show today. Uh, also, I'll update the book club a little bit in between the interviews, and we'll have one last thing again. Uh, kind of rebooted the show in a way last week. At least that's kind of the way it felt to me. Um, I kind of behind the scenes have adjusted some of my processes, you know, cleaned up an app. I got Evernote going. I got my interviews scheduled, and, you know, this is kind of like this freshening up of the show. And um, last week we had Stuart Mandel uh, from The Athletic to talk college football and Ben Ryder uh, from Sports Illustrated who wrote a book called Astro Ball, which I just read this morning is number three on the New York Times bestseller list for sports books. So congratulations to Ben on officially being a New York Times bestseller. So we have both of those guys on. If you ever need more information on the show, uh, you can find me at sports underscore casters uh, and get information there. And then, of course, you can download the podcast uh, if you just follow the link over today. Uh, and in the future, you want to know where you can go to download it. Uh, the direct link is soundcloud.com slash sports dash casters. And then, of course, iTunes and Stitcher and whatever podcatcher app that you use. If you're using one that's not catching this podcast, let me know. The sportscasters at gmail.com, uh, and I'll set that up so you can listen uh, where you're most comfortable. Uh, and maybe there's someone else out there who's trying to listen on that platform and can't find us. I was me- messing around with Pod 
Podbean, I think. And that seemed to have an old link to the show or something. So I'm going to try to fix that one this week. See what's going on with Podbean. Uh, but if anyone else is having a similar issue with Podbean, let me know. Or if it works for you on there, let me know. Uh, but we have a lot to do today, so we might as well get into it. I don't have a lot to say beyond that. I wanted to get some plugs in. I wanted to thank people from last week. Set you up for this week, and I think I'm ready to go. Uh, let's do this. We'll do Max first. Uh, then we'll do a book club update. And then we will talk to Jeff, and then I'll be back for one last thing. So that's the plan. Let's do it. We'll take a break and be back with Max Olson making his debut to talk Last Chance You. All right, our first guest today lives in Austin, Texas. He's a graduate of the University of Nebraska. He covers college football for The Athletic, and he's making his first appearance on the podcast today. A warm sportscaster's welcome to Max Olson. Hey, Max, what's going on, man? How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you, man? Thanks for having me on. Yeah, doing really good. Uh, really excited to have you. Um, I was actually chatting with uh, Stuart Mandel last week, who's someone who's been on the show since well, right around 2011 when we started it, and uh, we just yeah. got to talking, and I, and I I had just finished Hard Knocks, so I, or Hard Knocks, I do that all the time. I had just <laughs> finished Last Chance You, so I mentioned it to him, and uh, he had mentioned you, and I remember seeing you in it, and uh, now next thing we know, it's the next week, and we're chatting, so I uh, really appreciate you taking, up that, taking the time. Um, here's something I have to ask you somewhat naively. Uh, sure. I, I wish I knew, but I don't. Has hard? <laughs> how many times will I do that? Has last chance you been something you've covered all three seasons, or was this the first time that you kind of went down to uh, to see it firsthand? You know, it's funny. I have written about last chance you in some way in, in all three seasons. Um, when I was uh, previously at ESPN, um, I, I remember after the first season came out, uh, I called Clint Trickett, who was an assistant at East Mississippi, and did a Q and A with him to talk about, you know, what it was really like for him living in Scuba, Mississippi and going through all that, um, that crazy first season of it. And then the second year, um, I ultimately ended up writing a big feature for The Athletic about Dakota Allen, who was one of the stars of the second season, and just kind of the journey that he want, went on in, in leaving Texas Tech after a burglary, going to East Mississippi, getting his life back together, and then coming back to Texas Tech and, and being one of those star players. Um, so, yeah, for, for whatever reason, I guess I, 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 guess I got – hooked on the show and have wanted to I know there's a lot of people out there who um, are really into it and so I, I, I figured uh, why not uh, take a swing and kind of writing about it a little bit and so then yeah you know last season um, I think last November um, I I was curious in writing a story about Malik Henry um, partially right. because there was going to be on Last Chance U and partially because you gotta remember at the time um, Florida State was going through a horrible season um, because they'd lost their starting quarterback DeAndre Francois for the season and it kind of sparked the idea in my head of, like, where's Malik Henry? What's going on there? And so, uh, yeah, last November I went out and, and made a trip to, you know, made a drive uh, out to Independence, Kansas, out in the middle of nowhere, and uh, went to write a story about Malik Henry. And, and through that, got to meet Jason Brown and really got a, a taste of, uh, I think, what was going to be coming out in this third season of Last Chance U. And as I left there that, that night, I was like, man, I cannot wait for this show to come out because people need to see – 
people are people are not ready for this. They're not ready for Jason Brown. They're not ready for all the <laughs> drama that's going on here. And and so I've ever since visiting there for a day, uh, you know, just a Monday in November, I thought, man, this this third season is going to be pretty insane. All right, I want to talk about Malik Brown. I want to talk about the quarterbacks. I read your your uh, uh, Dakota Allen piece today, so we'll get back to that too. But let's try not to get too far ahead of ourselves because like people are going to be like, well, why was he laughing? Because he said it. He saw the coach. Like, if you see this season, I mean, this yeah, it would make sense. But um, let's back up a little bit. Uh, it's a great show. I mean, it really is. They're great storytellers. They do a great job. I feel like mm-hmm. uh, presenting what they what they do. Uh, but I wonder, as someone who okay, so you were a viewer of the show, and then you got to go down to indep- um, Independence and kind of be a part of the filming of it. What did you notice about? <laughs> What was going on? Like, what did you notice about the filming of Last, Last Chance You that stuck out, if anything? Like, did when you were there, did anything kind of jump out at you? Like, wow, I didn't expect that. Or, wow, this is really interesting. Or just something about the behind the scenes of the show that, that struck you? Yeah, for sure. You know, it, it's interesting. I, I've talked to people who've been on that, and their, their summation of it basically is like, okay, those guys – are going to film about 90% of what goes on, maybe 95% of what goes on uh, just on a daily basis. And then ultimately when the show comes out, they're only going to use like 2% of that. You know what I mean? They're only going to use a tiny amount. And I know from talking to folks that have been on the show um, that they have a lot of respect for, uh, for Greg and the the filmmakers and the, the guys that, you know, the production crew and all that stuff, that those guys have actually done a really sharp job of telling the real story and not doing what you could, you know, you often see like reality TV and stuff where you kind of take the footage and kind of twist it to, to create narratives and stuff like that. Like I, I know from talking to people that they think those guys do a really good job of telling the real story that ultimately what comes out, they're like, yeah, that, that really did happen. That was, that was what our season was like. And so, um, it, you know, sitting in Jason Brown's office being filmed, interviewing him, I didn't really expect that. I signed a waiver, uh, but I never really thought they'd actually put that in there because, like I said, they use so little of of what goes on there um, in the in the story. They just use the best stuff, and I certainly didn't think I merited the best <laughs> stuff. But um, you know, it, it was it was interesting that you know I visited them in November, so they'd been going through this for months. And at that point, you know, they they liked the the staff there. They liked those those um, the the film crew and all that, and eventually over time you just kind of for whatever reason you just don't notice them and you just kind of go about your life you kind of know they're always going to be there but you kind of tune it out at some point so everybody there was very comfortable about kind of that that deal that those guys were going to be following them around all over and you know there was no you know nobody in that production crew was like pausing to to make you restart or anything they're just they're just filming what happens and they'll put it all together later so uh very professional crew and and Definitely a, a, a fun. Um, I, I'm sure it's an, an incredibly fun job to have to just record everything and then get together at the end and figure out what the story was. You know, it's interesting about this season because, and you could maybe correct me if I'm wrong in regards to the uh, East Mississippi seasons, but it seems like yep. a lot of the players that ended up signing to the bigger schools this time around weren't necessarily characters on the show. Right, I mean, they had a the number four yeah. JUCO player go to Oklahoma, and I don't was he on the show at all? No, yeah, <laughs> it's funny. Um, Tremonda Moore, you're talking about, he's yeah, big time offensive lineman. He was a five star recruit um, out of the state of Oklahoma, out of high school, had grade problems. So when I went and sat down with Jason Brown, I said, "Hey, how, how's Tremonda Moore doing?" 
And uh, he said, oh, I kicked that guy off the team weeks ago. I was like, really? He, he said, yeah, that guy's really lazy. Uh, you know, he got injured. I just, I, I can win without him. I don't need him at all. So um, it's funny. I've seen a lot of Oklahoma fans be like, oh, wow, Tremont Morris on the show. It must mean he was taking care of his business and he's a good kid. <laughs> but it's no, not. that was Jason Brown. He wasn't on the show because Jason Brown kicked him off the team. And now he didn't kick him out of school. Uh, Tremont Moore, you know, he got his degree. He's at Oklahoma now. He's doing fine. Um, but you know that's you know he wasn't on the show, and I think that was in some ways a punishment by Jason Brown early on in in his season. And that's how it is there, man. Jason Brown will tell you uh, tell you straight up how it is. If if you ask about a player, he's going to give his his one hundred percent, you know, unvarnished, uh, you know, honest beliefs. And uh, that was what I found so surprising when I went to see him and talk to talk about Malik Henry. Is he told me straight up. When I went there, how much he didn't like the kid, and, and I found that really <laughs> unexpected and, and bizarre, you know? Well, let's okay, so let's talk about Jason Brown because you kind of let us here perfectly. So I'm watching this show on my couch, yeah. right? And every second mm-hmm. that passes, I'm just like, oh my God, this guy is a crazy person, more and more, right? And then, yeah. Yeah. And then I'm watching the president because then I'm starting to think, like, wow, there's no way he survives this. Like, this footage is going to get out. And this guy's going to be gone, like, because I'm watching maybe the first episode the first day. I'm like, this guy's going to be gone by Monday, you know. And then as you're watching it, <laughs> this, this is this is maybe going to be polarizing. I don't mean it to be, but I'm going to try for an analogy. He kind of reminds me of Trump okay. a little bit, in the sense that, and I know Trump okay. would love that because he wants everything to be about Trump, and I, I apologize for that. But what I mean mm-hmm. is that people who support him kind of price in his junk, right? Like whatever it is that other people yeah. despise about him. The people that support him kind of price it in, right? It is kind of like uh, like a penance that yeah. you pay for what you like. And I kind of got that vibe about Jason Jason Brown that like everything that comes off as crazy to us watching, the people are well aware of it already at Mississippi. The president that's at all the games and and that sure. they know yeah, yeah. and they've priced that in and they say, okay, we're going to accept that because all this other stuff we feel like we can't live without. Yeah, no, I think that's actually a great point. Um, in, in spending a day there, um, I got the sense. First of all, I hit it off with Jason Brown. I really like Jason Brown. He was great to me. He was very welcoming to me when I just shot him a Twitter DM one day. I said, "Hey, can I come visit?" He called me. We talked. He was totally fine with it. He didn't care. He, you know, he he was he's he's clearly up for whatever you know publicity they can get. And so he was he was very friendly to me. I went out for a beer with him at the end of the day out there, and just Maybe. a really nice nice guy to me. But definitely a different definitely a different dude and and you know i think what you said um about kind of this all being baked in i think is is really right i got the sense from being out there that um the the overall perspective on that is you know what we have never won we've never had a successful program and this guy has turned us into winners and so in some ways like the ends justify the means right like that's kind of how they look at it a little bit that yeah it would be great if he cleaned it up a little bit but um, but this guy's a winner and he's totally changed our program, totally changed our mentality. And we appreciate that about him, that he wants to be here and he wants to make independence, um, <laughs> make it great. Again, you know what I mean? And so, uh, it, so, you know, that was kind of the, I, I think that, yeah, his, uh, you know, his athletic director and his president, and all them, I'm sure they were nervous as they watched the show, but at the same time, they know that's Jason Brown. That's not a surprise to them. They, they've watched practices and games and, they know exactly who he is, and, and that's kind of the wild thing to me when you watch the show. And I see a lot of people on Twitter say, oh, that you know this guy is disgusting. That's not how you run a football program. This is terrible. And, you know, the crazy thing is for whatever reason it works. 
You know, for as dysfunctional as they are over the course of that season, um, you know, they go, they go out, they go nine and two, and and the players, you know, don't all just mass exodus there. You know, they stick it out, and for whatever reason, I think there are a lot of people that respond to the way he coaches, and and obviously it's not the coaching that we tend to see on Saturdays and Sundays at, at the higher levels of football, but I think in that that level of football where you need someone who's more of a disciplinarian and, and more of a hard ass for, I think for whatever reason that works for Jason Brown. Yeah. And as much as I say, he's a crazy person, like I totally get that he's charismatic and like that. Yeah. You know, like I get the great, the, the good about him. Like I wouldn't fire him. You know what I mean? I, I, it was, it was almost like when I finished as you watch every minute of him and you get to know him more, you, you more and more appreciate the positive. He's just so, it just comes off as so brash and so shocking at first. Like there's this, <laughs> no. there's this one scene. Yeah. There's this one scene where I think it's Malik. Actually, they have a an issue at mm-hmm. at practice, and he kicks him off the team. He doesn't want him anyway. He wants him gone. They're they're, they're mfing each other, and then he gets into the yeah. his office and he calls the the one of his mentors or something on the phone. And and he's like, yeah, I kicked Malik off the team. And the guy's like, well, is he really off the team? And and Jason Brown's like, well, no. But <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, I'm like, oh yeah, man. no, yeah, he, he he definitely sees himself as a master motivator, and um, you know, also I think like when I sat down with Jason Brown, like I asked him, like, okay, what's going to happen when this comes out, you know, and I, and he says, he joked that you know maybe I'll be here, maybe I'll be fired, maybe I'll get hired at Alabama, you never know, and he you know, he his his feeling on it is like, well, I think I'm pretty normal, it, it's, but I, I may seem crazy to all these other people, but I think I'm pretty normal and. I think it's kind of, you know, from talking to other folks around him, I, I think it's kind of his upbringing coming, um, you know, from Compton, coming from a rough background, just a guy who who is very raw. I think that's the term I've heard used a lot to describe Jason Brown and just his behavior and his personality is this guy, you know, he's unfiltered. And um, it's it's pretty wild that, that there aren't more people that are upset about it, you, you know, when you watch that show. I mean, obviously the coaches – uh, took a lot of heat from him and, and put up with it. Um, some of them doing it when they aren't even being paid, um, which okay. is crazy. But, you know, for the for the most part, he, you know, it, he gets away with it. For the most part, they're, they're able to still be successful, even though this is the guy who's the offensive coordinator for the program and doesn't watch film during the week. You know, he, he just thinks if he recruits the best players possible, that they're going to be successful no matter what. And so, there's yeah, there's definitely a lot of ego arrogance going on there, but at the same time, he's figured out a way to balance it out and, and succeed. All right, let's talk about Malik a little bit. And again, I should make sure that I'm not missing something. But as far as I know, he's nowhere right now, right? Mm-hmm. That's correct? He hasn't? That's right. Okay. Yeah, that's right. All right, so for anyone who doesn't know, this guy's a five-star, over-the-moon stud in high school. He signs up for a state. He gets there. He loses the quarterback yep. battle to, uh, to Francois and – ends up kind of leaving the program. It almost seemed like mm-hmm. I was reading something I think that you wrote and it almost seemed like they were almost didn't want him to leave the program. Uh, maybe they did. I, maybe I have that wrong, but, um, and then he, yeah, that, that I, I don't think anyone has a, you know, I, I don't think anyone has a great sense of what went wrong there at Florida state, honestly. And I don't know that Malik's been totally honest about that either. I think he had some issues um, with not winning the job with all the pressure on him. Um, you know, he's, he's said on the show and to me that he had some mental health problems over the course of that. Um, you know, he was suspended for, for a couple reasons, 
not not a whole lot is known about why it didn't totally work out at Florida State, other than that it was just really hard on him, you know? Right, and it's not like it's the Dakota Allen situation where this is this, like, huge smoking gun that you understand. It's more of this, like, vague thing. Sure. But, um... Sure. So then he goes to Independence, and, I mean, it's a, it's a disaster. I mean, even if you just look at his numbers, it's like... I don't know, it just... Like, when you watched, um... The quarterback last year, the one that's at FAU, mm-hmm. what's his mm-hmm. name? Uh, is it DeAndre? Uh, DeAndre Johnson. John, DeAndre yeah. Johnson, yeah. yeah. I mean, he was just lighting it up, right? You know, I mean, you just – and like John Franklin yeah. in that one game where Auburn was there, and he gets like the six TDs and a half. And he's just – and you're just <laughs> like, holy shit, like, wow, okay, I see it. Right. Like, you, yeah. yeah, you see that those guys don't belong at that level right. at some point, right? With yeah, Malik, sure. you just never really see it. A couple nice throws – and and the IQ you see, like the way he talks about the game, yeah. like you almost feel like maybe yeah. he'd be the best coach there if he was a coach. Sometimes you get that feeling. But you sure. s- you see – like, okay, so when we talked about Jason, there, like you see the crazy, but you, you get one over. With Malik, it's the opposite. I would never got one over. Like I never found myself in a spot yeah. where I'm rooting for this kid, and I've – I say that with a with a heavy heart because like I root for every kid, like you know what I mean. Like I don't want to see anyone sure, sure, fail sure. like that. But he just never puts you in a position to be in his corner. I mean, just from the way, like even the mm-hmm. way he treats that quarterback coach who's there to for the pay of living in this dorm that doesn't even have a window, pretty much. Yeah. And uh, yeah, right. You know, from that right on down to not really flashing much on the field and and the way he kind of doesn't interact with his teammates in a, I, I don't know. Tell me what you think about Malik and what like the buzz is on the street because if I know college football, there's got to be someone out there who's going to say, "Yeah, but he's a five-star and I can change sure. him." Right? I mean, how- Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, you know, it, it's it, I'm fascinated to see if in the next couple of weeks Malik Henry can find somewhere to go. Um, I I had heard uh from some people close to him that prior to the show coming out that he was talking to a couple of schools that he was he had finished his degree at Independence, uh, that he was back in California and working out, um, and that he was mentally in, in good shape, that he was in a good place and and ready to uh, go play for somebody. I my, I suspect that the show coming out will complicate his ability to to find somewhere at least at the the Power Five or the FBS level. I, I think that's going to make it harder for him, honestly, and um, I, I think that's just because anyone that watches that has a lot of evidence to consider that this kid is going to be really challenging to work with, you know, and I, and I think a lot of schools are probably a lot of coaches are, are they willing to invest that time to really try to understand him and get through to him when he's just a backup quarterback that you don't need, you know what I mean? How, how many people are willing to say, let's put all the stuff aside, all the stuff I just saw on TV and take this kid and work on him as a project. I'm, I'm fascinated to see if, if, you know, ball camp is starting at the end of the week here. So, if he's not if he's not somewhere here in the next week or two, I'd imagine he's probably going to have to look at a lower level of football to keep playing, or maybe you know maybe he decides not to play. I'm I'm really interested to see what's next from Malik Henry. Um, a big part of that problem, you know, when I went to see him in November, he was he was very confident that he was about to go play at a Power Five program at a high level. He was talking to Ole Miss, he was talking to Oregon, he was talking to Oklahoma State. You know, the Pac-12 schools were, were really starting to, to factor in there. Um, I think he had a lot of confidence that he was about to blow up again. And then he ran into this problem. And I, and I, I think the show 
um, probably did not do a very good job of of uh, showing this, uh, and not to knock them because there's a lot to get, a lot to cut, a lot of ground to cover there. But that kid was taking a really hard uh, course load over the course of that fall. He was taking like 27, 28 credit hours to try and get out of East, or excuse me, to try and get out of Independence uh, at the end of December, and he was not able to get it done. And um, that made it impossible for him to go transfer somewhere in January and join a program and go through an entire off season. Uh, which is kind of what you need to do if you're coming in and trying to, to win a starting job at, at a high level. So uh, the academic part, I, I know, was a huge stress on him um, over the course of that season. And, um, you know, it, it definitely hindered his ability to go somewhere big. And, look, I, my interactions with Malik were really positive. I think he was a kid that was going through a lot. Uh, he tried to be pretty open with me. Uh, he, he is a pretty, you know, he is pretty guarded. And I think you're right that when you watch that show, there's not really some turning point or some moment where the fans watching it say, okay, I feel for this kid. Um, you know, I believe in him. I'm excited to see what's next for him. I think you just kind of see a whole season of a struggle there. And, and I know that he, you know, his feeling was maybe that he shouldn't have gone to independence. Um, I, I think his dad ultimately ends up saying that at the end of the show, that maybe we shouldn't have sent him here. Um, but, you know, it, this is a kid that was put into a situation in independence where, you know, he didn't like the coach. He didn't like the offense. He didn't like the way the offense was run. Um, he liked the quarterback coach, and that quarterback coach, Frank Diaz, you have to give him a lot of credit for trying to, to salvage that situation and make the best of it yeah. um, and, and trying to put out all the fights between Malik Henry and Jason Brown. Um, but, you know, Malik was put in an in, in adverse situation in independence, and uh, I, I think it's up to the viewer to decide how well he handled it. And, and I, like I said, I – I, I wish the kid nothing but the best. I, I hope that he finds a spot and, and kind of is able to get his life together. But I think this show coming out makes it harder for him to make that case to people that, that he's changed a lot. And, and I hope that he has. I think kind of Frank comes off as the five-star prospect. I mean, that's the kind of guy I'd want around my program. <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, you know what I mean? You know, honestly, I, I, he does. Yeah, I, I caught up with Frank a week ago. We talked for a long time about what this whole deal was like and, and I really like that guy. I have a lot of respect for him. You know, that, that's just a guy trying to pay his dues, you know, right. who's, who's trying to. Is he somewhere? You know, who's, who's working that job for free. What Say that again. Is he somewhere for next year? Or this yeah, year? He's coaching, you know, he's coaching in the high school race in California right now. But okay. I, I think that he was, he was certainly hoping that um, this coming out would lead to a lot more phone calls, would lead to, you know, hopefully a, a college uh, staff calling and saying, hey, we got a spot for you. So. Uh, I, look, I think Frank Diaz, really, really great young guy um, who, you know, took this job for no money, uh, for, for a terrible dorm room, for terrible cafeteria food, because he wanted to coach Malik Henry. He wanted to get through to Malik Henry and, and fight for him and bring out his best. And, uh, you he know, tried. that was incredibly difficult last yeah. year. He tried. He, he tried. tried. Yeah. And, and, and there was a really interesting moment in that where Jason Brown, you know, basically is like, I've given up on that kid. I think Frank needs to give up on him, too. You can't. You can't fight for all of them. And, and, you know, I think that's the tough thing with Malik Henry. When I went out and visited them, Jason Brown's stance was, I don't talk to that guy anymore. Well, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm fed up with him. Um, he's, he's caused a bunch of fights. I've had to suspend him for a bunch of quarters. You know, he's just, I'm, I'm done. And, and I think that to, to Frank Diaz's credit, he, he tried his hardest from start to finish to try and make that thing work. And, uh, you know, it was a guy who took a lot of, uh, took a lot of shit from Jason Brown and just smiled and, and kept working. And, um, you know, ho- hopefully nothing but big things for Frank Diaz in the future because that guy certainly put in uh, a really tough year there and paid his due. Yeah. I'm going to ask you a question that I know you won't, you can't answer 
and I couldn't either. So I guess okay. I'm just looking for an opinion more than anything. But you mentioned about how mm-hmm. Malik and his dad were talking about like maybe we shouldn't come here, right? We shouldn't come here. Maybe this is a mistake. Yeah. And you know, I'm I have to be honest. I don't know a lot about JUCO football. I know about two programs because I've seen them on a Netflix show, right? And then there's one in Buffalo sure. where I don't think we get much D1 talent from there, right? So that's what I know about <laughs> okay. about JUCO sure. football. So I'm sure. being honest there. But I think about Malik with Buddy Stevens, right? Like, okay, so if it's not there, well, what uh-huh. if what if he went there, right? And I think about Franklin coming in and having to, like, literally battle for the starting job with a kid who played high school hockey – or hockey, high school football yeah. in the area, you know, and was yeah. – I mean, couldn't have been – I mean, was a zero star, right? And then won the job from him. Like, mm-hmm. like I just mm-hmm. wonder, like, do you think that would have been a better environment for Malik? Again, it's, yeah, it's actually, a, I do. Honestly, okay. uh, yeah, I, I think so. And 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 I'm not knocking Independence or, or Jason Brown by any means. That guy has done, um, you know, a remarkable job of trying to build up facilities there, of trying to improve um, where Independence was at. Because you know, when he got there, Independence was was you know relative to their peers in their conference was was really um, you know in the basement. And so they, you know, he's done a really strong job of of trying to. Uh, improve the facilities and trying to improve the culture there and all that stuff. But, but you know, I think you watch the show and you see a couple obvious things here. You see that the, um, you know, the support system is not the same as what you see at East Mississippi. He doesn't have that academic counselor who's pushing him constantly to keep him back on track. They didn't have that in independence. Right. He doesn't have the quarterback coach or offensive coordinator um, who is really giving him the reins to run the offense the way he wants to do it. And, and I think when you watch the show, there's, there's clearly a case to be made that Jason Brown should have just said, you know what, Malik, you call the offense, you run the show here, you know, kind of let your talent went out. But I think there was a little bit too much ego there for him to let that happen. And so I think that um, as great as Frank Diaz was in, in trying to make this work, like I think you could definitely have thrown Malik Henry into a more comfortable situation offensively, um, you know, with, with just as good a talent around him with, with a more academic support. And, and maybe you get a different result. But, you know, at the same time, like, I think Malik Henry has to recognize that this is just the fact of the game. You know, you're, you're going to go wherever he signs, he's going to go somewhere where, yeah, maybe you like the coach that initially that you signed with, but maybe they leave. You know, stuff's going to change. Adverse stuff is going to happen. You're going to get banged up. You know, things are going to happen that are not in your control. And how do you respond to it? And, and in this case, with independence, he responded pretty poorly, I think. Yeah, you know, you mentioned something that made me remember, to be fair, something I did kind of feel for Malik on was at one point yeah. he says, you know, I try to give advice or help and it's interfering, but when if I don't do it, I'm not being a leader. And he's he's kind of confused. Yeah. You know, and I've seen that because one thing that is obvious is the kid knows X's and O's. You know, like you never sure. feel like sure. he doesn't know. You always feel like, wow, it's a smart football player right there. And... This, this is the a big problem that he had, and that was that he came from, from playing for Jimbo Fisher, you know, and that's one of the best quarterback coaches in all of college football. And, and there's a very high level of understanding that goes into the job when you play for him. And, and I think that was a big problem between Malik Henry and Jason Brown. And, and I, I talked to both of them, and they both admitted it, and that's that when Malik is offering advice or he's trying to change a play or he's trying to – give feedback he's he thinks Malik thinks he's doing it to try and make the offense better he thinks he's doing what he knows how to do to make this work and Jason Brown 
I think oftentimes hears that and thinks that this kid is being insolent. He's being a pain in the ass. You know, and I think that was a big problem for them that they never really figured out is how do we kind of make this work? Because Malik Henry has, has such high expectations because he comes from one of the best college offenses in the country. Right. And right. so he comes here, he's playing for this coach who doesn't watch film, who doesn't seem particularly interested in investing that time to make that offense work. Cause he's got so many other things on his plate as the head coach. And this was, I think, a big problem and, and one that, you know, that is the thing I think that shines through the most is Malik Henry knows football. He knows adjustments. He knows yep. pre-snap stuff. I think he wanted to really go, and I think he felt he was really held back. All right, we're talking with Max Olson from The Athletic. Let me ask you a couple more quick ones. I'll let you go. Um, sure. What You mentioned the uh, the academics, and there's one thing the show certainly lost in the transfer of schools is they don't have a Brittany at this school enroll yeah and i know they tried to force it with the english teacher and nothing yeah. against her i'm sure she's a fantastic english teacher or whatever but yeah the show tries yeah, to make her compelling in her own way for sure right yeah. but the show kind of tries to say like oh well the show tries to get the viewer to think okay this is the britney here and she's not she's an english teacher there who has a book club and yeah and does yeah. try to help the athletes but she's an english teacher whereas you know Brittany was specifically there to mentor the athletes and um, you you definitely the things that went on in her office in the first two seasons were sometimes as compelling and as good as anything that went on in on the field. And I just wonder if as a program, when they watch this, the president who seems very invested in making this program work might say, you know, Wow, I've seen the other seasons, and I do see kind of what we're missing here. I don't know if that connection's yeah. made or not, but you know, I don't know how you felt as a viewer, but I just felt like you could really see institutionally that that not being there definitely hurt the players to some degree. Oh yeah, yeah. for for sure, yeah, and and I think that we it gives you, a, I think, a greater appreciation of what you saw in the East Mississippi season, and that is that. Brittany Wagner was kind of the glue holding it all together. You know, she was the one who was, you know, players would come to her and vent about stuff and she would talk them through it. You know, when, when, when people were missing class, she knew about it and she did something about it. Um, you know, when someone, when a student athlete needed help with, with a test or with a grade or with a teacher or whatever, you know, she was the liaison that made everything right. You know, and I think that in my experience visiting independence, the, their perspective was, you know, we don't our, our coach among our coaching staff. We don't have a Brittany Wagner. We're all performing the the role of Brittany Wagner. You know, you see in the show these coaches having to go check to see if Malik Henry woke up and went to class. You know, yeah. and I think that that it goes to show you that when you when you are having you know when you have that on your plate as opposed to having a counselor or an advisor who who is helping take care of all that, then yeah, guess what happens? You're not spending as much time on football during the day, and then you have a, a football team. That is not, you know, not as well prepared as the one in East Mississippi that that runs, I think, a lot like like a college program does. And uh, you know, that was one of the things when I talked to Frank Diaz last week. He's like, you know, you watch that show closely. Every game is close, even though we have better talent than everyone because we were just we just didn't have enough time to coach these guys. And and you know, Jason Brown was not putting enough time into the coaching part of it. You know, they had all this talent. Uh, all these guys that are going to play at a high level now, um, but they were playing so many close games because they were not better prepared than their opponent. And so, yeah, I think if you watch that, you definitely see there's some room there for for someone to 
you know, take that burden off of the coaches and give really give those kids, make those kids a lot happier. Because otherwise, you just kind of have that negative atmosphere that kind of exists over the course of the season there. And I think that Brittany Wagner does, you know, plays a big role in fixing that. I think as a viewer, you look in and you see when you watch those East Mississippi seasons, you see a program many years into its development. You know, with yeah. many parts that have been perfected and tweaked and turned over the years. And when you look in at Independence, you really do see a second-year coach who's never really mm-hmm. been anywhere for very long by his own admission. Yeah, it's a great point. Kind of yeah, trying sure. to to grow something that didn't even have a gym, as he put it, when he got there. I think you really do see that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Okay, I'm trying to make sure yeah, I totally, didn't miss totally anything. Agree with you, man. I think I think it's it, it is interesting to see that contrast. And you know, honestly, I have not heard. I I assume they probably will go back to independence for another season. Um, I haven't heard that to be the case for sure. Um, but uh, I, I'm interested to see. I, I don't know that Jason Brown is going to adjust much or change his behavior much um, if if they do go back for another one. I think he's going to keep doing his thing, and I'm sure it'll, it will piss a lot of people off, but I'm sure there will also be people who will be, you know, who will want to watch that again because he's such a engaging character, you know. What do you know, if anything, about the players he got this year? Did he get another monster class of studs to come in there that are there right now? Do you have any idea? Yeah, yeah, of course. Oh, yeah, of course. Um, I don't know who's taking over the quarterback job there, but I do know they've got arguably the number one JUCO recruit in the country, this defensive end, Jermaine Johnson, who was, I think he was on the team last season and kind of in the background on the show, but, uh, but he's, uh, you know, really heavily sought after guy, you know, that, that Georgia and all the big SEC programs are going after. Um, they've got, they've got, you know, it's, it's the same as, as every year. I think Jason Brown, that's the one thing he, he talks over and over about on the show is um, I'm going to go get, go out and re- out recruit everybody. And so, I think probably having this show as ammo, you saw it with East Mississippi too. Have you know being able to go out and tell those kids, "Hey, you want to be on TV? Come play for me." Like I think that is, uh, I'm sure that's going to lead to them having another just monster roster this fall. You kind of answered it there, but I'll ask it more specifically and see if you change your mind at all. Um, okay, is this show being a part of a program ultimately? As we watch it, as we see what happens to the players. Do you think it's going to be a positive or a negative for the specific program to be, you know, the one that's filming the upcoming season? Is that I know you'll always draw like, you know, players who are like, yeah, you know, I'm probably not being the NFL, but I can go. Maybe I can make a star of myself on this show here. But what about the five stars? What about the top guys? Are they going to shy away from this or are they going to be drawn to this? What do you think? I think we're probably dealing with a generation right now that wants to be famous, right? So there's probably a lot of these kids that's very attractive to them that, that they would get to be on Netflix. You know, I think that that, that probably is, is one of the reasons why he's going to be able to get a lot of kids there. Overall, is it good for the program? I think that I think the production staff does a pretty good job of staying out of the way. But at the same time, um, I think it probably, you know, I think it, it is, you could argue it's certainly a, a kind of a, a heightened distraction for a program and that if you've got a lot of drama going on, those guys are going to be there and you, you have this sort of this tension that they saw everything and they're going to tell everything. So yeah, it's a great question. I, I don't know that if, if over, I, I think again, the, the perspective from independence is um, this puts us on the map, you know, that we've never been a big deal in, in junior college football, Jason Brown, who is a little bit, a little bit wild. He has, he has brought us to this place where now we're relevant. And I think they see this show as an extension of that as, as proof that they're, 
that they're big time now. And that's something I think that in that tiny town, they, they take a lot of pride in. So I'm, I would imagine that even with though that, that show shows all the warts and all the craziness, they probably are glad to have it. I don't know if they'll ever catch anything as off the rails and nuts as that fight that led to basically the forfeiture of the season. Um, <laughs> but, at, East, at East Mississippi? Yeah, yeah that was crazy. And then do you remember the next year where they couldn't play with any of their returning players basically yeah, for the opener? Yep, that yep. was crazy. Everyone was suspended. Just everyone suspended. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was, you know, I guess there was a lot more fighting at the in the East Mississippi seasons, right? Like there was yeah. a lot more of that, oh, this might explode into something. Um, I guess there wasn't as, as, as much of that at Independence, which I don't know if that's a good thing on Jason Brown or just a bad thing on Buddy Stevens, but... That is what people kind of watch for, right? Don't people kind of watch this because they want to see the the stuff get explosive, that they want to see the coach and the player fight and stuff like that? I don't know. It's I, I, I've seen a lot of tweets from people being like, oh, this is not – like I said, a lot of people saying, oh, this is bad football. I would never play for that guy. I have no respect for that coach. I can't believe those people put up with that. But at the same time, I think there are probably a lot of kids that watch that and say, I want to play for that kind of guy. Right. At least I know where I stand. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> He's exactly. gonna let you know where you stand. Um, Max Olson is with the Athletic. He's been nice enough to take a lot of time. I don't even know if we agreed on how much. So this has been a lot of uh, <laughs> generosity of his yeah, time. No I problem, appreciate man. that. Hey Max, I'll let you go on this. Why don't you tell us a little bit about Max at the Athletic in 2018 and kind of what you're going to be doing in terms of covering this season? I talked to Stewart a little bit about how he views yeah. his role. You know, I think there's nine kind of national guys and now the beat guys are coming on. For people who are listening to this and maybe going to subscribe or might subscribe or whatever, what can they expect from, from you? Because, I, I mean, hopefully people know you don't just kind of follow the, the Last Chance You cameras around. Uh, this was just yeah, kind of a one-off right. that we kind of got excited to kind of geek out and talk on. But um, what's your year sure. going to be like? For sure. Yeah, so, so my background when I came to The Athletic was I covered um, – the Big 12 Conference a lot. I'm, I'm based out of Austin, Texas. I've been based out of Austin since 2012. Uh, so I know that conference really well. Initially, the job was kind of a little bit more writing about the, the Big 12 and, 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 you know, Texas and Oklahoma and all them. Um, I, I think th- this year the job is a little bit different. We just hired 19 uh, team beat writers who I think are, are doing a fantastic job and, and really makes our, our, our college football side on the athletic a very different experience and a, and a really, really cool one. And so – my job now is to kind of figure out where I kind of fit into that, and, and I think that will be more national college football coverage. I'll still be writing about Texas and Texas A&M and, and Nebraska. That's where I went to school. I'll still be writing about a bunch of those programs, but but a little bit more of a national perspective in addition to kind of what's going on inside the state of Texas. So, you know, that's been the fun thing working with, with Stuart Mandel and all those guys is um, they've really given me a, a tremendous opportunity to kind of do what I want to do. And, and, and I couldn't be more grateful for that. Um, I had, I had six really fun years at ESPN and, uh, but, but I felt like, you know, the athletic, this, this could not have been better timing to, to join in on this when it was brand new. And, you know, the first year of our college football site, uh, the, the feedback, the response from folks was, was amazing and, and unexpected to some degree. And um, so we're just really excited to kick off this second season here and, and uh, keep it rolling and, and hopefully, if anybody hasn't checked it out, that they go check out the athletic and and see, you know, what all sports and teams are being covered, and and uh, I think there's a little bit of, of of everything for everybody out there. Oklahoma's winning that conference again, right this year? For sure, yeah, yeah for okay. sure. Yeah, uh, you know, it's going to be. I, I at, at this point, that's the easiest bet. 
Um, I think West Virginia is going to be interesting if they can stay healthy. I think they have a chance to make the Big 12 title game. TCU is always going to be in that hunt. Texas, I think, has an outside shot. If they, they have a lot of stuff to figure out, but they have a chance to make that Big 12 title game if they get everything right. But, you know, it's a really it's a really wide open year for the Big 12 this year. And at this point, I think you just have to treat Oklahoma as the team that I don't know if they're a playoff team, but I think I, I'm, I'm pretty sure they're the best team in the Big 12 when everything's right for them. Do you buy the Will Greer Heisman hype? I do. Yeah, okay. I, I really like that guy. I think that he's put in a ton of work this offseason. I think he has some some terrific pieces around him at receiver and, and on offense. Um to really go out and put up huge numbers. But in terms of the Heisman stuff, like he, he knows that like it, they have to win games for him to, to be in that hunt. You know, if, if they go out and if they go eight and four, he's not going to be anywhere close to the Heisman contention. So they got to, they have some big games early on Tennessee and NC state uh, that he can start to make a statement. But ultimately Will Greer is only going to be in that talk. If West Virginia goes out and, and wins 10 plus games and, and really is a factor in that playoff race. All right. Well, you can find Max Olson on Twitter. He's at Max underscore Olson, O-L-S-O-N. Uh, you can also follow the Athletics College Football uh, feed on Twitter. It's at the Athletic CFB. Uh, we talked to Stuart Mandel last week. If you want more information about what the Athletic does in terms of co- covering college football, you can find that on last week's episode. Um, I think that's it for me. Oh, since you're in Texas, I'll ask you one more thing. We'll definitely get out on this. It was so much fun sure. all these years mocking Texas uh, for letting all of the great <laughs> quarterbacks in Texas go away to other places. Of course. Uh, yeah, are they course. doing any better the last few years? Because I know we – I think we're officially, <laughs> we're officially to the point, right, where every quarterback that um, Mac Brown let out is, is gone. We can't, he can't be haunted by anyone anymore. Um, is there anyone? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. The, the Mac Brown curse, the, the the Mac Brown quarterback curse, or whatever people want to call it. That that I think you can officially close the door on that. Um, mm-hmm. Do they have Do they have a quarterback now? Uh, or are they Are they doing better? Unclear. Yeah, they're doing better. Yeah, okay. they are doing better. Their quarterback room is in a lot better shape than it's been in the past few years. It, is is one guy in that room like the next Vince Young? I, I don't think so, but. I think Tom Herman has done a, a much better job of fixing that room and of, of getting the guy that he wants to get. So finally, Texas might have a quarterback here pretty soon. And uh, I don't know. I, I, at some point, once they do, I, I think they'll stop being so mediocre and uh, and be back in that national title hunt at some point here. Well, I mean, it's so fun to kind of goof on him about that. You know, like you can even go back to Drew Brees, like, oh, my God, you dummies let Drew Brees go to Purdue. But I mean, if we're being fair, like For sure. Texas high school football, there's got to be like, 20 recruitable quarterbacks every I mean, they can't all go to texas right i mean yeah so it's fun right. oh and and drew Brees was tiny and and you know that's how this goes man like there's like it's funny like baker mayfield um you know he, he likes to like kind of build this brand around him that like nobody wanted him it's like oklahoma didn't want him out of high school you know he, <laughs> right. he had to walk on to walk on there, and yeah. uh and and earn a job at texas tech and then get you know so i think a lot of these guys still still manage to slip through the cracks and and none of these schools want him but but obviously, you know, Texas A&M is not held to that standard like Texas is. For, for whatever reason, Texas is just treated as that program that, you know, because they had Young and McCoy in the last, you know, 20 years here, they're, they're treated like there's no excuse for them to not have another one. All right, Max, this was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. I hope we can do it again. Maybe I'll email you, see if you got a little bit of a load yeah. in the season. We can talk more about the games and the teams and what's going on out there. Have fun in Austin. I heard it's a great city. I kind of was there like in passing. I seen Pearl Jam in Dallas. Um, 
Oh, wow. Uh, okay. well, in 2013 awesome. and kind of went through Austin on the way to Oklahoma or maybe vice versa. I don't totally remember. But I did hear a sure. story about sure. like uh, um, who's that really handsome actor that's in Dazed and Confused and um, – Oh, Matthew McConaughey. Yeah, I heard a story about him like getting arrested by the Austin police playing bongos naked in his in his room. So I hope I hope nothing like that happens to you. You, you know, you can find a some kind of happy. You know, I have I have not uh, <laughs> they have not busted me for a naked bongo drumming yet. Here, so that's good. All right, man, I really appreciate it. Thanks for the time. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Tall, could have used a few pounds. Tight pants, points, hollering out. She was a black haired beauty with big dark eyes and points all her own, sudden way up high. I want to thank Max Olson for making his debut on the Sportscasters today. Huge thanks for that. I also want to thank. Uh, Stuart Mandel for hooking us up, making that connection. It was really great to have uh, Max on the show. Uh, there's that point in the song right there, uh, Night Moves, that's always fascinated me, uh, where he talks about tight pants points, hardly renowned. I guess that was a fashion statement in the 70s, some kind of like metal spikes that went on shoes and jeans. And then he says, and she had points on points of her own sitting way up high. I got to think that that's a uh, a reference to her breasts. Anyway, uh, book club update. I want to go over a few things real quick. Uh, first is that next week's show, we'll be talking with Aaron Schatz from FootballOutsiders.com. And every year, Aaron comes on around this time. And every year, he's nice enough to send me a copy of the Football Outsiders Almanac. So I want to give it a plug. The Football Outsiders Almanac 2018. Of course, it's edited by Aaron Schatz. Uh, there is also work in there from just a ton of different writers. Uh, and this thing, you can get it, a PDF of it. Uh, so it will come to you uh, on your on your device. Uh, or you can get it, of course, in its binded version. Uh, and I think you can go to footballoutsiders.com. And also Amazon, you can find it on there as well. So I want to mention that Aaron's going to be on the show next week. I think I talked to him like the 7th or something like that. Um, and then you will hear that. So we'll talk with Aaron about the Football Outsiders Almanac. One interesting thing I saw in there, and I'm excited to talk to him about, is in their season projections, the team that consistently had the least amount of wins is the Bills. So interestingly, the Football Outsiders Almanac doesn't think much of the Bills. Uh, also, I've been talking with an author as I just closed off uh, what I had open uh, to 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 prepare for this. But uh, I've been talking to an author online about a book that's coming out in the fall. And the book is called The Last Days of Letterman. And it is a book that chronicles the last six weeks of the David Letterman show, which just seemed like a really fascinating topic to me. I would love to hear about the last time Howard Stern and, of course, Eddie Vedder were on the show. And The Last Day of Letterman is now available for pre-order. And uh, it's by a guy named Scott Ryan. And like I said, it chronicles the uh, 
the last six weeks. And there's a little blurb here. Uh, Scott Ryan interviewed a 20 late show with David Letterman staffers and compiled the last six weeks of the show into the new book, The Last Days of Letterman. The book takes the reader behind the scenes and into the meeting that Dave had with his senior staff as he announced his retirement, then covers the final 28 episodes of The Late Show. So it sounds really cool, and I'm excited to talk to him about it uh, in the fall. Well, hopefully we'll have a copy to give away. I don't know that. But you can pre-order it on uh, on the website. Uh, and uh, it's twenty two ninety nine. So let me give you some information here about this. So if you go to lastdaysofletterman.com, you can find it there. And if you want information on Twitter, it's at Scott Luck Story. Uh, so we'll do that in the fall. Uh, one last thing on the book club update here, and that is our buddy Jeff Perlman, who's going to be on this program in a moment, uh, has a book coming out on September 11th called Football for a Buck. The Crazy Rise and Crazier Demise of the USFL. Uh, this is a passion project of Jeff's. It's available for pre-order on Amazon, at Kindle. I think you can pre-order it on Apple Books as well. Um, and I'm looking forward to this one because I know how much Jeff cares about it. And he's even going to give us a little preview uh, in, the, in, in the interview in a second. And I am going to have a copy of this one to give away too. Uh, and uh, when Jeff comes on, to promote it, he's also going to have an announcement, which you'll hear about in the interview in a second. So, uh, just to recap, next week, the Football Outsiders Almanac. In the fall, the last days of Letterman. Uh, and then, of course, next time Jeff is on, we'll be talking about football for a buck, his USFL book. So, take a second to pre-order that as well, and you'll have a chance to win a copy here on the Sportscasters. All right, let's take a break, and let's come back and do this uh, with Jeff Perlman. Our next guest is from the state of New York, uh, but currently lives in California. He's a graduate of the University of Delaware, the former Sports Illustrated senior writer, and the author of five New York Times bestsellers, a good friend of the program, a warm sportscaster's welcome to Jeff Perlman. What's up, Jeff? How you doing, bud? I am uh, procrastinating, so this is good for me. How is Southern California today? Uh, it's very hot, very dry. But, um, you know, it's pretty good, you know. We have had such a hot I'm summer here. Any driveways. We have had such a hot yeah. summer here that my grass is straw. And um, I just can't stand it. I don't know how you do it year in and year out. Like, I just, three days into summer, I want summer to end. There's nothing about summer I enjoy. Oh, man. I actually love summer. But this one, uh, I don't know. There's something also nice about when fall comes and school starts and you know, I do miss the one season I miss from New York is fall. Uh, it's the one season that I, I, there's something about the leaves falling and the crackling and all that stuff that I do miss. Otherwise, I'm pretty good. I think the only possible season you could rank number one in season power rankings other than fall is summer. Like if you're super into the beach and the yeah. sun and things like that. I think it's a two-man race. Like I don't think there's any way it's any other season. Now I have summer fourth. Unless you're really but, into skiing. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. If you're in the skiing, I guess you go winner number one, but I'm not. Yeah, I, I agree. I always 
I've always gone summer, fall, spring, winter, winter, distant fort. Yeah, I would go fall, spring, winter, summer, distant fourth. Summer. Yeah. Yeah. So. I can understand that. And I think those rankings also probably depend on where you live, right? I mean, if you live somewhere, like if you live in Qatar and, you know, it's 137 degrees in the summer, you're probably going to not love it. Right. I also think it depends what holidays and what you have going in the middle of it. Like uh, my daughter's birthday's in July. I love July 4th. It's one of my top four holidays. So I think holidays influence it. You know, I like having my kids off. I like the laid back days of summer. So there are things about summer I do really like. That's fair. Yeah, no, I, I enjoy summer too. I mean, the biggest reason I don't like summer is the weather. So I just do not yeah. like, I just know. Well, it's not like going to get weather. any colder. It's not getting any colder in the world, man. Not getting colder, just getting hotter. So. Yeah, well, we had a we had a brutal winter here last year, so it's not getting any warmer in the winter either. So, um, anyway, why are we talking about go. this still? Uh, incredibly boring start. <laughs> um, you Your have, podcast. You have a because you have a ton of cool shit going on, and the number one cool thing you have going on, which I'm super excited about, because I think like you, I've been a huge mark for this publication since I was. 10 years old and that is that you are the editor of the best American sports writing 2018. We haven't talked since that was announced. So congratulations. Oh, thanks man. I consider that. I'm um, not exaggerating. I just, I've said this to everyone I've talked to probably the biggest, not like I've had a million honors in my life, but I would consider that the biggest honor of my journalism career. I remember the first one I read was the one that Rick Riley edited. And I just remember reading it like his intro was all about, making comparisons, like, you know, not settling for saying it was hot out and trying to find, you know, some way to describe the heat. Like, that was kind of the gist of his thing. And I remember just being all in. Like, just, I don't know. I just totally, so I, right. I, I'm looking across the room and I have, like, everyone since 88 or something. So I'm excited yeah, to add you like, there. Um, well, when I grew up, there was, like, uh, the two books I always read. There are these things, the complete handbooks of pro baseball and pro basketball and pro football uh, that came out every year, and I would religiously buy them. And then I would buy the uh, Best American Sports Writing every year. So it's, it's uh, yeah, it was kind of cool. It was neat. When they asked, they asked and they said, um, do you want to do it? And I was like, great. And then they said, well, we only pay X amount. And I was like, hey, really? So uh, it was like, oh, I would have done that. If they said, you have to pay you have to pay a thousand bucks. I probably would have gotten up to a thousand bucks to pay to edit it. So I actually got paid to edit it. It was a million times better. Either did a really shitty job searching or they haven't announced your articles yet, correct? Yeah, they have not announced it. Okay. Okay. I, I didn't I didn't think I couldn't find them, so I didn't think so, but because usually Glenn yeah. will put them up right on his site. So when I didn't see them there, I figured, oh, they must not be out yet. Um Yeah, I don't know the schedule on that. Did you uh did you agonize over your written part did that come easy did you did you fight i mean because you're such a big fan of it like did it feel like writing your first si column all over in some way it was um i i put it off and put it off and put it off and i thought about different i just thought about different sort of things i wanted to write about and then i would say eh, no i'm not going to write about that and i didn't want it to be overly self-indulgent you know there have been some i read a bunch of the intros over the years and and they're all great writers. Some of them, you know, some of them were more kind of about the author himself than others. And, um, 
I didn't want to, I didn't want to make it about my career. So I just, uh, yeah, I thought a lot about it. I did actually, I did think a lot about it. And then I sent it in and sort of like when I was at SI, I expected all these edits and, uh, there were almost no edits. In fact, I don't think there were any edits. They just took it and ran it. So I don't know. My dad liked it. So my wife, so that's good. It's funny since I started doing this, I kind of judge the quality of the book based on how nice the editor was to me in its release. Like, you know, Jay, the first one the first one that came out since we had the show is Jane Levy, and, like, she's become, like, basically the mother of the podcast. So, oh, oh man, cool. her book's amazing, right? And then, like, uh, this one dude, I can't even think of his name right now, is a Yale guy, like, totally ran me around a flagpole and through the kitchen and then never come on. So, like, I've never even, like, read his book. Um, it's just sat there. Wait, there was an editor of Best American Sports Writing who was not – he was not receptive to your. Uh, no, he wasn't even. He your, was not your, nice uh, re- about it either. Really? Yeah, he was nasty. I can't wow. think of his name. Right? I'd say it because I, See, I said, said it before on the show. It's not like I'm writing it. That, that's really weird to me because I think. Um, I mean, you and I, you, you and I have had our little spars about this and that, blah blah blah. But to me, ultimately, if someone wants to talk about writing, you know, there aren't that many people asking. You know, they might ask when you have a book coming out about a certain subject. But not that many people are that fascinated by writers. So if someone wants to talk about writing, then I'm, I'm you know, it's flattering. So I, I don't really understand people who aren't into that, who do it for a living. It's kind of weird. I think part of it was, and, you know, maybe it was like you said with, with the money, you know, like maybe for him. Like, I think he kind of felt like, well, they didn't tell me there was going to be promotion. You know, and, and I kind of like, like kind of went back to him like, well, it's not really promotion. I mean, I just want to talk to you about it. Like, I'm just right. interested, you know, like, I, I don't know. Um, let's see. What was his name? Yeah. J.R. Moringer. Oh, yeah. Who's a great writer, actually. That's funny. Yeah. I don't know. You know, some people just don't want to talk that much. Like I had Gary Smith on my podcast last week. Yeah, I just listened and, to um, him. Yeah, Gary, he's always he's just a very guarded and kind of quiet guy. And um, I think he did it because we both worked at SI. But he's not. I mean, there's just some people who sort of just want to write and they didn't do this. They didn't enter this business to sort of promote and reach out. They just want to sit and write. So maybe I just assume that's him. I have no idea though. And I understand that. Like if you would have said email one, you know, no thank you, I've been like, okay, cool. Yeah. You know, but it was something like, oh, I'm going to go to Italy, you know, write me back when I'm back from Italy. And then, you know, then it was like this, they got to send a resume practically. But then the next year was Christopher McDougall. It's one of the best interviews I've ever done on the show. Like we just totally clicked. Oh, that's cool. We had this really fun discussion about it, and I think I thought yeah. he'd be on ten times since then, and he hasn't been on once uh, since. But really, just because <laughs> we we go. just haven't really crossed paths on it. Not like I've asked either. So yeah. Uh, but um, no, I mean, a, I I will say one thing about one thing about the best American that I didn't realize until um, they asked me to do it. There is a uh, they need more women editors. It's sort of disgraceful. There's been one woman in the history of the series. It was Jane. Oh, Jane's the only, the only one. one? Really? That is not. Only one. That hmm. makes no sense whatsoever. And when I read the list, I thought, oh, my God, this is like a conga line of mostly white men. A couple of African-Americans in there, not many. Well, Wilbon just really, did it, right? There's one thing I would say. Wilbon did it. Howard Bryant did it last year. I don't know if Ralph Wiley ever did it. I don't, there are not that many, but it's like... Uh, they need to work on that. That's something I would, and I'll say to them, I may have said already, I think that's a jarring, there's something wrong with that. 
it's interesting that in 2011, 2012, it went Jane Levy Wilbon. I wonder if that was a time where they were almost where maybe Glenn was like, we have to make a commitment to this. Because if you go from 2011, if you go from 2011, it's it's not a bad track record, actually. You could maybe have another woman mix. I don't know. But... Yeah. Because I'm it's looking at the list in front of me right now. It is now. a kind of a cool list. Yeah. Yeah. It's a cool list. It's a cool list. Um, I do not feel, and I'm not just saying this, no, I'm not saying this like, oh, so you can say, no, you do. Like, I don't really feel like I fit in on that list. Like, that is a list of titans. And I'm aware I'm not a Titan. So I'm happy they asked. Um, but I think it's a, it's a little bit of a stretch. I'm happy to do it. I'm thrilled. I'm honored. It was a cool honor. Um, but, you know, like Halberstam and DeFord, I do not belong on that list. I kind of understand that. Not that <laughs> – I, I don't mean that as a put-down. I just kind no, of un- – I, I could understand feeling that way. You know what I mean? Because when you look at the names, yeah. like I think – you have eight, like big guns. eight New York Times bestsellers, so I think you fit in. But I think if I was you, even with eight New York Times bestsellers, I would look at the list and say, "Oh, I don't belong here," you know. But I mean, I can I can see a couple of names right off the bat that I think you're more qualified than, in my opinion. I don't know. Also, I don't have eight. I don't have eight New York Times bestsellers. I have five, and I have eight books. Oh, okay. So I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to. You know. I don't want to hype myself in some fair way. Yeah, but I mean, you know, there's like, it's kind of like there are different levels, right? And there's like, there are all-time, all-time, all-time greats. Like if if 50 years from now, people are talking about the sports writers of this era, they'll be talking about DeFord, and they'll talk about um, Wright Thompson, and they'll talk about Gary Smith, and they'll probably talk about Riley, and maybe Russian, and uh, Sally Jenkins, and Dan Jenkins. And then there's a lot of guys who've had, and women who have had, you know, good, I've, I've had a good, I'm very happy with my career. It's been wonderful. I don't think anyone's talking about me 50 years from now. And that's totally fine. I'm, I'm just a realist about it, you know. I'll just be, I had a good career. And hopefully someone's reading the book. But if they're not, it is what it is. I, I, you know, I, I, the only thing I would say is they're talking about a couple of those books in 50 years, though. They might not remember for sure Jeff Perlman wrote it, but a couple of those books are going to last. I mean, look yeah. at—I mean, the Mets book came out in 2003. I heard you say in that podcast. So I mean, that stood the test of time. Yeah. It's still in the top 100 on iBooks charts. No, oh, that's funny. I didn't even know that. Well, yeah. that's cool. You know, that's so it's already holding up. You know, it's interesting because you were talking about, I guess, the lack of um, diversity in this, and the interesting thing is about that which came to mind about it is when Jane came on in 2011, I guess I was naive to her being the first woman. I mean, maybe, I, I mean, I probably just assumed there must've been someone else. Um, I don't think I yeah. took the time to look at the list like this and I know it didn't come up and I know we just talked to her about the book and the process and baseball. And then shortly after that, her mantle book came out and she came on again and we just talked about her mantle book and then I remember I was reading this message board one time and it she was the topic and someone said – this is actually the first time I ever heard anyone I didn't know mention my show. So there was this topic and they were like, oh, I'm so annoyed because every time I hear Jane on a podcast, they just want to talk to her about being a woman sports writer. It's – you know, I, I just want to know what yeah. Jane thinks about the Yankees. And then like she posts down and someone said, well, I actually heard her on the sportscast a few times and they didn't talk about that at all. And then, so it kind of got me par- oh, cool. It kind of got me paranoid actually, because I was like, 
well, wait, am I, am I fucking up? Like, should I be asking Jane about that? Like, it's Jane on the other end thinking, like, this guy's being rude. Like, why isn't he asking me that? But it turns out she wasn't. Right. She didn't care about it, really. But um, I don't know why I thought of that. I don't know what the point is. So well, I, think, go- I think that's interesting. Like, um, like, on my podcast, I've had a pretty diverse cast of, of, of writers. And in a way, I've sort of gone against always asking... Like Howard Bryant was the first person I ever had, and we talked a lot about race and sports. And, you know, I sort of realized, like, you don't always, just because you're an African-American sports writer doesn't mean you have to talk about that every time you talk about writing. You know what I mean? Like, you can just, or a woman, you can just talk to Jane, Jane about, you know, writing about Mickey Mantle. And it doesn't always have to be about the social blah, 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 economic blah, implications. Like, sometimes... You're just allowed to talk to someone about being a writer, and that's totally fine, too. And I've tried to keep that in mind, actually, more than I used to. Do you ever hear of a metal band called Life of Agony for any reason? I have not. Okay, so they're this uh, metal band from Brooklyn. Okay, hard dudes that I was exposed to in 1995 at, like, an Ozzy Osbourne concert. They were the openers, and they were... They're so cool to me because they were like this metal band, but the singer, he didn't have a scream to him at all. There was like this melody to the group I loved. Anyway, I've been a big fan of him over the years. And like around 2012, I heard that the singer Keith Caputo was now Mina Caputo. And and, um, they said, you know, this band is not going to – we're going to go on hiatus for right now, you know. Um, And she put out an album. And um, the album was very much uh, an open letter about her process and about what she had gone through in her life. And then the band played some shows in Germany. And I, was, I remember I was so excited to, to see them. What is Life of Agony going to be like with Mina? And I found out it was very much like, like Life of Agony with Keith. Uh, almost no difference. Right. And um, – it was just just a couple of days ago. I was looking. They're they're coming here in September. I have tickets to go. I'm really excited. It's the first time I've seen them in quite a bit of years because they kind of started real slow, kind of just building the confidence back up. I think in the group, and they have this new record out. And I was like searching on YouTube, trying to hear just about it, like what's going on, what's on the road, how do people like the shows? And every single interview that I found was just so. You have this new record. Is it about transitioning? You know, and it seemed like she was getting really frustrated with it, actually, um, because she just she kept saying, like, no, I did that in 2012. And, you know, this is something different. And let me tell you about this. And it it, it just seemed like, you know, I I almost wanted to reach out and say, hey, you want to do an interview like just like just about music, like just about that other thing, because I'm really interested in that. Not that I'm not appreciative of what she's been through. And I bought the album in 2012 and read the lyric carefully and. I find her to be an incredibly, I mean, I can't imagine the Brooklyn metal scene is the easiest place to, to make such a drastic transition. I can't imagine. So I don't know. Check them out. It's a, it's a really interesting story and she's, she's, she's phenomenal. I can't wait yeah, to, I don't know that. can't wait to see them. Uh, anyway, how do we go? Oh, you were talking about your podcast, two writers singing uh, Yang. I listened to it today. I was listening to the Gary Smith one. Cause it seemed like one you were really excited about that. I hadn't heard yet. Uh- and um, yep. it was cool because I, I felt like you said he was guarded at first, but I think you, you broke his guard down a bit. I think there was a point he forgot yeah. he was on and, and you guys were just chatting. But I was thinking about it. You know yep. who the number one person on your guest list should be? 
And this isn't to drag us down any rabbit holes, but the number one person you should have on is Ben Shapiro. Yeah, that wouldn't be bad. It would maybe be the best podcast of 2018. You you two guys are so incredibly similar in every way except for the one thing. You You guys are almost completely alike in every other way. Two kids live in California. Both dashingly handsome. Dashingly, dashingly handsome. handsome Jews. Dashingly handsome Jews, yeah. Okay. You know, successful wives. Um, two kids even. One boy, one girl. Um, I don't know. Just so many similarities except for that one thing. And All I right. think that the thing you would really... Yeah, I think the thing you'd really appreciate, appreciate about Ben too is um, he calls a spade a spade all the time. Right. You know, if he thinks something right. stinks, he says it stinks. You know, if he thinks, yeah, you know, so I, th- I think it'd be amazing. I don't know. Sidebar, I guess. I feel like we're, uh, I feel like we're lacking people like that. I've actually heard that about him before. And I do feel like it, uh, it's amazing how we, I mean, they always use the term tribalism, but how we really are. It's so refreshing whenever anyone says something that even surprises you anymore. You know, when someone when a conservative says something about a conservative that can be construed as critical or liberal says something about liberal, it's, you know, it's like, it's so refreshing and it used to be not that big of a deal. You know, mm-hmm. that's one of the bigger changes I feel like in the last, maybe since yep. GW Bush, maybe that started. Um, maybe, even, I don't know. maybe even Clinton. Really grim uh, but man, yeah, weird. It is weird. And he's, he's great. All at, right. I'll keep that in mind. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's what, drove me to him because I don't listen to a lot of political stuff especially if a person is very mm-hmm. closely associated with one side or the other because I feel like I'm listening to a conservative I'm stuck in an echo chamber and I feel like I'm listening to a liberal I'm just yeah. frustrated you know but I, I, I what I like yeah. about him is just where he I feel like he's like me in a way politically we're different because he's more religious than me you know I'm not as into abortion which is something he's really into um, but uh I think that's one thing where similar. I think you two would be amazing together. Uh, but right. I do wonder, like, because I think the last time we talked, you were kind of just getting into it. And are you still having as much fun as you were when I talked to you last time about with it? Yeah, I, I do really enjoy it. I mean, sometimes it's, it's, it's a little bit of a hassle. And the thing that's frustrating a little bit is, you know, like a guy like Gary Smith would draw a big – a lot of listens or a Wright Thompson or, you know, Wertheim, guys like that. Let me try to see this too. And then you have someone on, like this week I had the film critic for EW. Mm-hmm. And to me, like fascinating guy, really interesting criticism. I love that stuff. But the listens go in half. You know, like, like, so I've kind of had to remind myself that it doesn't really matter how many people listen to the podcast. So you're doing it for your own enjoyment. And then that's what's most important. Because sometimes, especially nowadays, we do get caught up in the metrics of it all. And you feel pressure to have, you know, big name sports people because that's who my audience tends to be. But I don't want to just have big name sports people. I want to have political writers. I want to have concern. You know, I had uh, one of the editors of Breitbart on. That was great. You know, like I want to have people like that, but they just don't get the listens that big sports people do. So, and that's, that's why I thing. don't even look. I don't care. I don't look. Doesn't matter to me. Since day one, yeah. I've booked this show just with people who I found interesting. Yeah, and that's good. Yeah, you know. and it really makes no difference. That's the thing. No, I'm not getting paid for it. I do it for enjoyment. 
It doesn't, I could tell people I have 10 million listeners and they'll say, oh, or I can tell people I have 500 listeners and they'll say, oh, like it's not impacting anything. So what do I care? So I try to do that. I try not to really pay attention. Yeah, I couldn't, I haven't looked in over a year. I don't think on anything. Yeah. So. Um, you have no listeners, by the way. I looked the other day. Nobody's <laughs> listening. You know what really hurt actually is we went down when I, I had to switch it to over to SoundCloud. So we had to kind of restart oh. our feed kind of in a way. I mean I think yep. we definitely took a hit yep. and when that happened I was like, ah fuck it, I don't care, whatever. Whatever they are, right. they are. You're doing it for you. Exactly. Right. Um Okay, we gotta hustle a little bit. Uh the book is coming out soon. Your passion project. Okay, so I have a question about it, which I, I really want to. This is something you and Gary kind of talked about. So you were kind of you were kind of talking to Gary about it. he's he's working on a book, and you were kind of trying you you were curious, you know, does he want to talk about the subjects? And you've been infamous for you for being guarded. But when you did this book, you said from the start, "I'm doing this book." Right. Yeah. This is the first time that you said from the very beginning, "Hey, I'm doing this book." You know, I think you did it for the purpose of maybe leads or whatever, whatever reason you did it. But you yeah. did it from the beginning. You said, hey, I'm doing this book. So this book is turned in and this book is coming out. And I just wonder, like, how is it different? How is it the same? Did it change your mind at all about that area? Um, you know, it's really interesting to me because it's it's a it was a huge break from the norm for you. And I just wonder how it right. the, what the conclusion is. Um, I mean, it was kind of liberating and it did lead me to a lot of different leads and people helping me out. And, and that was really cool. And I, you know, I just, uh, I don't have a great reason for my paranoia. As I said with Smith, like, it's not like I, uh, it's not like you say it and then someone else is going to be like, Oh, I better do that book quick. Like it's not going to work that way. Um, so I, uh, I think overall it was a good thing. And I'm working on a book now, but I haven't told right. anyone the topic yet. But I might soon. I might just because I uh, I don't love keeping secrets, and I kind of like talking about it. And I people do feel what I wanted. The thing about the USFL was I just thought it was it's the hardest sell of the books I've written. And I thought maybe if I get people sort of invested in it from an earlier stage, um, people feel sort of more I don't know attached to it and maybe compelled to feel like they're more of a part of it. Um, I don't know. I have a book hasn't come out yet. I don't know how it's going. I just found out it's coming out on the same day as Bob Woodward's book, which didn't thrill me. But um, I don't know. We'll see what happens. What's his book? His uh, Trump thing or something, right? He has a Trump book too. But the, and the thing that upset me about it is I feel like this is this book, you know, U.S. of L, obviously it's a sports book first, but there is a lot of Trump in it. And there's a lot of sort of understanding of Trump in it. Some good, some bad, you know, but like kind of understanding how he operated 30 years ago and kind of how he operates now. And you want to get on the news shows. And all of a sudden, you know, you have this uh, you have this book coming out that's all about Trump by a huge writer, right. you know, like a grade A marquee writer. So that's never, you know, it's not like having a Bonds book come out after another Bonds book, but I wasn't thrilled by it. It's kind of a little bit of a bummer. Interesting. Yeah, that, that's the one thing I'm least excited about for the book. Is the Trump part just because I? Yeah. It's a fatigue. It's, it's just think, fatigue. It's you know, really just, not. I'm so bored of him. Yeah, I get it. He's the least interesting human really being on earth right me, now. Yeah, I actually agree. It's like, and I, and I would say the same about. I used to think that about Obama, and I thought that about Clinton. Like you hear so much about these people, 
the last, you know, like when Derek Jeter was playing for the Yankees, the last guy I wanted to write about was Derek Jeter. Right. So I just didn't need to know anything more about him. Mm-hmm. I feel that way now. Um, on the other hand, does give a sort of different twist to promoting a book. Right. He is, oh, I see that. I see that for sure. Bad, he is a major character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He's a major character in the history of the USFL, actually. No, uh, no, I see that part. Like, I kind of, I think I asked you last time, like, was the one good thing to come out of the election for you the fact that he was going to stay so predominant in the news cycle and help you with this book? And I think you kind of downplayed it, but I think it, I mean, I think it's probably going to be huge for the book because I think in, in one way, I mean, there's going to be Maybe. a big segment of people are like, well, I can't read, I can't wait to read about this other thing he fucked up. And then I think, you know, yeah. there'll be other people who, I mean, you're always going to lose people who won't read your stuff. I mean, and that's something you've just accepted. But you also so. gain people. That's the funny thing. Yeah, you yeah. You gain and you lose. Yeah, and I just like, said that. I think there's going to be people. And that's the truth. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, I think there um, are going to be people who can't wait to see you bury him in the book. Like, they're going to hope for that. You know, like, that's going to be their thing. Like, oh, man, I bet Perlman really buried him. I can't wait to read that. And I don't uh, I don't think of it as burying anybody. You know, you write the truth about a circumstance and... You know, you, you just sort of put it out there and people can interpret it how they want. There are some people, look, there are people who would say Donald Trump was a great USFL owner. He signed a lot of big money players. The team went from being bad to being good. You know, he brought a lot of attention to the league. So it's not a, uh, not a universal take. A lot of people, Donald Trump made people rich in that league. So it's not a, uh, you know, there are arguments the other way if you want to, you know, well, want to think of it that way. Well, that's so very Donald Trump of him, right? I mean, does anyone really... I mean, you can find people who think um, his tariffs are a great idea. I think it's the worst idea of his presidency, right? But you can still find people who think that's yeah. a great idea. So, I mean, you can find he's he's the master at um, being pol- polarizing both ways and making everything about him, uh, which is why I want to move on because he doesn't get to be about – this doesn't get to be about him. Um, All right. Fair enough. Next. Next. Uh, <laughs> although I don't want to get off the book so quick because I can't wait to read about like Bobby Bear. Like, I hope there's something cool in there about him because he's such an interesting guy. You know, like, oh. so I can't wait for that, you know? So, I don't know. So he was, uh, Bobby Bear was on, um, Bobby Bear, you know, came out of small college, Louisiana, yep. uh, 1AA, and um, he uh, he probably would have been a fifth or sixth round pick in that 83 class of quarterbacks, you know, with Marino and Elway and those guys. Mm-hmm. And, at the time, Ebert, he was only 22, but he was married. He had a young kid. He was living on food stamps. And Michigan Panthers come along, signs with him. He's one of 13 quarterbacks in camp with the Michigan Panthers. I think it was 13. Um, unknown, complete unknown, uh, and beats everyone out. And just like I wrote in the book, like he was hungry, but he was literally hungry. He was on food stamps. <laughs> he had no money whatsoever. Right. It's an amazing story, and he's such a good guy. He's he's just a delight, and the whole story of him is just like, and talk about a success story from the USFL. Um, and if he had been in that '83 class, if you take all the quarterbacks from the '83 class now, you would say you know Elway probably the best, Marino, Jim Kelly, and then it would be Bobby Abair. You know, yeah, like that. He would have been part of a really strong class of quarterback. Abair was not a great NFL quarterback. He's a really good NFL quarterback. Yeah, and I mean, and his he was on the perfect team, right? Because he didn't have to be Dan Marino to be one of the best Saints ever had at that point, right? I mean, at that yeah. point, they've and, um, it literally had one good quarterback ever. So, 
Yeah. And what's interesting is um, he goes to the Saints, and the Saints were coached by Jim Mora. Right. He came from the Philadelphia Stars, the team Abair played in two USFL championship games. And um, Mora's quarterback in the USFL was Chuck Fusina, who had been a star at Penn State. And Fusina is probably the best quarterback in USFL history, but he had kind of a Chad Pennington arm, like not a strong arm. And when Mora took Abair over Fusina, a lot of those guys with the Stars saw it as a little bit of sort of traitorous. Like, how did you? How could you not sign the quarterback who got you so far in the USFL? He obviously made the right decision. I mean, Abair is just a better, better NFL quarterback. But kind of Abair is a big part of Abair. There's Abair throwing to Anthony Carter with Michigan and Oakland. There's a great hookup. Yeah, I'm, see, I can't wait for that. Like, I just can't wait for that stuff. Like, I'm all in on that. I have a yeah. book coming. We're gonna give a book away too on this show, so I can't wait. Uh, for that, and I can't wait for like the guy that's going to be in this book that you unearthed that no one has thought of or heard of in twenty five years, and has some fascinating backstory. So, like, I can't wait for that stuff. Yeah, yeah, the Trump stuff I'm not Thank excited you. for, but in the end, like, I'll probably read it and be like, oh, cool, you know, that was interesting, you know. So I'm not, you know, it's just right. It, I felt the same way. Yeah, I did not. I wrote this book in spite of Trump. I did not write it because Trump was there. He was a part of it. Great, fine, whatever. I would have written this book if there were no Donald Trump in the USFL. I just love the USFL. Yeah. And I think, and that's the thing I'm most excited about is like, you know, Jeff Perlman wrote a book about the Lakers. I don't know how much he liked the Lakers, but it's a great book. I know he loves the freaking USFL. So I can't wait to read that, right? Because I know this time, you know, no matter what, this was something you really freaking wanted to do and you wanted it to be great. And so I'm really pumped about it, but. Um, I also tell you, I'll tell you the greatest thing that happened. The greatest thing that happened to me with this book was um, I got in touch with someone who worked as like the office manager for the Chicago Blitz, and her father had just died, which isn't great, obviously. And she was cleaning out, I think, his garage and found this huge box of Chicago Blitz stuff, and she sent it to me. And it wasn't just like pictures and whatever; it was notes from George Allen, the coach. It was like game plan, day-to-day. It was all these letters. The best part was all these letters from college players wanting auditions with the Blitz. And they were like, it was like guys from like Division II schools, guys misspelling interceptions, guys, you know, people writing on behalf of like the fullback at some Division three school. And it was just this amazing collection of letters and notes and pictures. And man, I love that stuff. So is today the day? Would you like to take this opportunity to announce the subject of your next book? I would not. Would, you like, uh, would you like to give a clue or two? It's, a, uh, it's my autobiography. It's Jeff Perlman <laughs> book. Well, you've said on here before it's a basketball book. Would you like to give a second clue? It's a book about basketball and people throwing balls into hoops. Is that a real clue or are you just being silly? Should I look in? Like, should no, I think about that? Good. or? <laughs> I'll tell you what, I will, if you, um, next, I'll tell you what. Okay. When I'm promoting the book, have me back on for the USFL. Oh, of course. I will talk about the subject of the book. Okay. Oh, but it'll be, it'll be everywhere by I will. Then. Hold me to that. Okay. Um, no, I won't talk about, I will not talk about the subject of my next book until I do it on your show. All right. Fair enough. Um, yep. I promise. Okay. All right. I believe you. I can't wait. I can't wait to talk to you about that book. Like, I can't wait to have read it and do that. All right. We got three minutes left. Let's hit the athletic real quick because you're writing columns again. And I'm just curious, are you yep. are you enjoying it? I loved I just read all of them today. Well, all the ones that I hadn't read. <laughs> I had read most of them. So yeah. like you know, but I caught up on the ones that either I missed or whatever cuz that 
one thing about I love the athletic. I love the app. It's the best thing that ever happened to my poops, but it can be overwhelming. <laughs> the amount of content can be overwhelming yeah. sometimes. Uh, so yeah, sometimes stuff gets missed. But tell me about writing columns again. Are you enjoying it? What have you liked? What do you don't like? And what about the athletic in general? Um, I love it. I actually do. I mean, sometimes, you know, with the book and everything, you feel pressed for time. And that's one thing. But I'm working with my editors, this guy, George Dorman. I don't know if you know George, but um, he was a colleague of mine at SI. Great guy. I'm picking my own subjects. I'm writing about stuff I want to write about. Um, I, you know, there's a little pressure because it's, it's a new sort of media. How many subscriptions are you getting off your columns? How many comments are you getting? I've never loved that, but I, I recognize that's what it is in 2018. Um, I dig it, though. And the other thing that's good, I'm just a guy who does not care about how many people are tweeting it out. Like, I'm not, I feel like if you're, this is an example, if you're Richard Deitz and you're writing for SI and you're used to getting a gazillion comments on your work and suddenly you're at The Athletic and just by nature of working for a subscription site, it's a much smaller readership right now. I could see, I'm not, I have no, I haven't talked to Deitz about this, it's not about him, but I could see for a lot of writers it being sort of uh, an adjustment. For me, writing books over these years, it's a 0% adjustment. I actually don't care. I just love writing. I love the opportunity to do it. So to me, it's been really cool. And I wonder if the comments thing in 2018 is a little bit of a blessing, right? Because you don't have kind of not, you know, polarizing nonsense that goes on in the comments of articles happening, at, at least, you know? You still do. You still do a little bit, but it's different. You know, the, the thing that's cool and interesting, like I wrote a column uh, yesterday for CNN.com. And, you know, you end up getting a million angry tweets and emails and blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah from both sides. And you're just like, oh, I don't know. I don't care. I don't have time for this crap. The athletic, the, the subscribers tend to be pretty informed. You know, they're like sports fans, sports fans. So if you write a column about, you know, I'm writing about Terrell Owens this week. If you write a column about Terrell Owens, they tend to know about Terrell Owens and they understand the subject. And even if they disagree with you, it seems very respectful, which I kind of dig. So I like that. Do you think Terrell Owens is going to regret not going there this weekend? I think 100%. Yeah. I think it's one of the dumbest decisions. I think it's a, And I was thinking about, I covered Michael Irvin's Hall of Fame induction. And, you know, kind of similar, right? Right. Very cocky. Yeah. Self-indulgent receiver with a pass. And that... That speech by Mike Orvin, I was there for that. It was one of the great speeches I've ever heard in a sports setting, ever. And I think for a lot of people, it changed the perception of Mike Orvin. Terrell Owens could have had his moment. Instead, he's just going to be remembered for being a petty baby. It's just embar- it's embarrassing. And he's really, he just is bypassing a really good opportunity to do something. I think because he doesn't have the emotional maturity to take advantage of it. All right, it's 440. Hard out. I want to let you go. I want to honor your request to bounce at 440. Jeff Perlman is with us. He is on Twitter at Jeff Perlman, and he writes for The Athletic, and he has a book about the USFL coming out. And he's a handsome, a handsome, he's a handsome Jewish man in uh, California. Like Ben Shapiro. Yeah. yeah. All right, thanks. Anything, wait, anything, anything else you want to plug? All right. Anything else you want to get out there? You can follow my wife on Twitter at The Family Coach. She's a good follow. Great book, too. Ignore it. Great book. Yep. Great book. Yeah, thank you. All right, man. Bye, man. Appreciate it.
want to thank Jeff Perlman for being on the podcast today. I also want to thank Max Olson for making his debut. Don't forget you can hear today's podcast and all of our shows on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash sports-casters. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts. You can find us on Stitcher, who's been a longtime partner. And, of course, you can find us uh, wherever else you listen to podcasts. If you're having trouble finding us somewhere, email me, thesportscasters at gmail.com, and I will try to fix that. Uh, also, you can tweet me at sports underscore casters. I want to give a quick shout-out and plug to a podcasting partner and friend of mine, Peter Winson, who hosts an amazing one-man wrestling show called Greetings from Allentown. Uh, you can follow Peter on Twitter. It's at GFAllentownPod uh, is the Twitter. Uh, and, of course, you can find him as well on Apple Music and uh, wherever you do podcasting. Uh, Peter and I have a partnership called the Adams Division Podcasts uh, where we talk about wrestling. And we have one coming up this month where we are going to break down SummerSlam. SummerSlam's 88 to 98, so the first 11 versions of the pay-per-view. Paul is chilling here uh, with me, and we're going to get to Paul in a second. I have a Paula story for one last thing. Uh, let's see. Greetings from Allentown. Check it out. It's amazing. I mentioned the... Uh, podcast plugs next week Aaron Schatz is going to be on the show and hopefully the debut of our banger from ESPN just a hint he's got about a million followers on Twitter and has never been on the show before spends most of his time on ESPN talking about fantasy football that's next week all right one last thing so Tuesday was going to be an amazing day for me an amazing day I had Paula in the morning, and my mother-in-law uh, was going to be off of work at 12.30. Paula, you eating the microphone? Yeah. Say hello. No, you don't want to say hello? Okay, now she's shy. Anyway, so my mother-in-law was going to pick Paula up at 12.30, and I was thinking, all right, I'll take a nap when Paula leaves, and then when... Tammy gets home. I'll toss her around two, three minutes. Then I'll get another nap, and then I'll go to my hockey game. It's going to be a great day. So Paula and I wake up. Everything goes fine. My mother-in-law comes and picks her up. She leaves at 1230. I take a nap. It's going great. So Tammy gets home, and just before I get a chance to lure her into the bedroom, she gets a text message from her mother. And her mother says, I think Paula might be sick. Call me. So Tammy calls her mother. I didn't see any signs of Paula really being sick. She had a completely normal day. So she calls her mother-in-law, or my mother-in-law, her mother, and she says, you know, oh, she's just standing there crying, and she's not doing well, and and Tammy thinks she might have a poop stuck. Uh, Paula's gotten constipated a couple times, and then she just cries, and once the poop comes out, she's fine. So I'm kind of thinking it's that. So anyway, Tammy's like, I'll just head over there now. So already, you know, one thing canceled on my list. So I'm like, well, no reason to spoil a good nap. So I have myself back into the bedroom for a nap. 10, 15 minutes. Uh, oh, before I do that, I called to check on Paula. And Tammy said, oh, yeah, you know, I think she's okay. She's going to go to dance class. So I'm thinking, all right. False alarm. 
everything must be okay. I'm going to go take that nap. So I go in there. I get in there. I'm starting to fall asleep. I've been in there maybe 15, 20 minutes, and I hear my dog's chain wiggling. So I know that my dog's home, which means Tammy's probably home, which means Paula's probably home, which means she probably didn't go to dance. So sure enough, they all come piling in, and Tammy's like, you know, she's just really sick. I don't think she's going to be able to go to dance. We're not going there, and she's not feeling well. So it's all right. So we kind of hang out with her all day. We try to get her to take a little Tylenol, and all of a sudden, she like does not want to take medicine. She's just not having it. She does not want it. It's a, it's a fight. It's a struggle. So we're having trouble getting medicine. I take her temperature. She's like 103.5, so she's burning up. And I'm like, oh, man, you know. So she throws up maybe. Um, she has a rough night, and we get her to sleep like around 930. But I'm guessing it. I'm thinking in my head, like, this isn't going to last. You know, this is this is iffy at best. So around maybe 11 or 11.30, and I had just laid down. I, I didn't go to sleep when Paula did. Tammy did, which was smart. Uh, but I stayed up. I was watching whatever I was watching. And uh, right around 11.30, like right when I went to bed, Paula woke up. So we brought her in bed with us, and she literally never went to sleep. She was up the entire night. I was up the entire night. Finally at 4.30, I was like, I have to go get this girl some medicine because the medicine I had given her earlier was the last of it. So I went to Wegmans at 4.30 in the morning, and I bought the chewable Tylenol and the liquid Tylenol for her. So I had two options. So I come home. It's almost 5 in the morning, and I I give her the pill first because she says she wants that. She throws it right on the ground. Yeah, she threw it right on the ground. She wanted any part of the pill. So then I said, all right, well, let me try to give her the liquid. So she keeps telling me, not yet, not yet, not yet, not yet. She wants the medicine, not yet. So I kind of have to hold her head, jam the little needle thing in there, pour the liquid Tylenol in. She's snorting. The Tylenol's coming out of her nose, wiping down her cheek. I think some's getting in. I don't know if I have to account for spillage so she gets the proper dose. It's a nightmare. So finally, like around 5.30, she's properly medicated, and she falls asleep. Yeah, you're all better now. I'm just telling a story. Okay. So anyway, so we fall asleep, her and I, around 6 o'clock. Tammy wakes up and goes to work. Uh, Paul and I lay in bed. We get maybe three hours of sleep in. She wakes up. She's like, okay. She's not having a great day. She's still got a fever. And like right around noon, I called the doctor. And they said, you know, it's probably a virus. Could be two or three days of the fever. You know, be careful what you give her. And, um, you know, she should get better. But I wouldn't worry about it much other than a virus. So around noon, we go through the whole thing with, with, the, with the medicine again. She keeps saying not yet. I keep saying now. Finally, we give it to her. It's a whole big thing. And then and then we take a nap. So we get a little bit of napping. So then Tammy gets home from work, go about the day. She's really anti-medicine. She's kind of feeling better. She's kind of not. She eats a little bit of toast, something like that. So around 9.30, she goes to bed. And again, I'm thinking in my head, this isn't going to last. So sure enough, she wakes up at 2 o'clock in the morning. And she just wants to come into bed and sleep with us. So we let her come and sleep with us. And... It's actually going well. She takes a bottle. She's laying down. She's falling asleep. I'm falling asleep. 
Right around 3.15, I feel like I hear a shotgun go off. I jump up in bed. I look over, and Paula is sitting next to me in the bed, just throwing up all over the bed. Just vomit, just coming out. Just, it was surreal. 3.30 in the morning. So I look at, I look at Tammy. I'm like, you take her. or you, I'll take her. I'll clean her. You clean the bed. So we did that. Finally got back to sleep. And that was um, a couple nights ago. So then yesterday, finally the kind of the fever broke, and she's back to normal today. She's running around playing with her toys and everything. But it was a wild couple nights of uh, of parenthood for sure. Uh, having a sick kid is not easy. Uh, that's for sure. Um, and trying to get her through it, and uh, all that is tough. But she. <laughs> The funniest thing is her with her medicine. Paula, you want to talk? Paula. Paula. Sweetheart. Do you want to take your medicine? No? Because you're not sick, right? She's not in the mood to talk. I wanted to get a first hand from her, but she's not in the mood. I'll see everybody next week.